0: Hello, Chris here with another installment of the Make It podcast. And uh, I have a great treat for you guys today. One of my favorite conversations uh, this year. But before I get to that, uh, I want to encourage everyone to go to our website at www.banzai.film and click on the resources link. There you'll be able to join our creative community and be given access to an ever-growing slew of film-related resources and tools at your disposal, of course, at zero cost to you. Again, go to www.banzai.film to enjoy and leverage our ever-growing resource library, amongst many other things. For example, all of our past podcast episodes. And if you visit us Our promise is always to bring you value and never waste your time with spammy, dirty filler. (laughs) And now on to today's guest, actor and director, Chris Green. Chris was raised in Yonkers, New York, living between two homes at a young age after his parents separated. In school, his teachers would label his progress reports with, quote, Good student, but very talkative, unquote, and, quote, loves to entertain the class, unquote. So, to help Chris use that energy in a more constructive way, his parents got him involved with music, and he began performing as a drummer all the way through high school. Through his skills as a drummer, Chris would earn a musical scholarship to attend Winston Salem State University in Winston Salem, North Carolina. However, it was at a nearby college, the North Carolina School of the Arts, where Chris would eventually find his love for acting. With over 15 years of experience, Chris has appeared in commercials, feature films, and television shows working opposite the likes of Anjanu Ellis, Joel Edgerton, Coleman Domingo, Bill Cobbs, Nick Offerman, Hugh Laurie, Elizabeth Rodriguez, and many, many others. Chris has also worked for award-nominated and winning directors like John Lee Hancock, Carl Franklin, Donald Glover, Greg Nicotero, and Jeff Nichols. Chris's experience as a director spans seven years under his production company, Detour Entertainment LLC, where he is working to help new actors and filmmakers reach higher levels of success in the entertainment industry. Aside from acting and spending time with his daughter Zoe, who is also taking to acting, he coaches other actors on the importance of having a confident and educated lifestyle within the industry through his company LOAA, which is an acronym for Life of an Actor. So, without further ado, I give you the only other guy I know besides me that was named after the sexy, beefy Christopher Reeve, actor and director, Chris Green. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights the professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley.
1: What's up? What's going on? This is Chris Green here, uh, actor, director. And uh, you may have caught me from, you know, uh, such shows as, you know, Atlanta, Outcast, Walking Dead, uh, Movies Birth of a Nation, Loving, uh, you know, The Founder, you know, just a bunch of stuff kind of, you know, they all blend after a while. And, uh, yeah, I'm really, really, really excited, you know, getting my own content out there, working on some things, going to be directing a few things coming up, got a few episodes of uh, some shows, I can't really name right now, but they're going to be on your TV screens definitely coming the spring. And I'm really, really excited to to be on today and, and chatting it up. So,
0: thank you very much. And and look, yeah, the pleasure is all our ours because uh, we just know how busy you you are, how much you give back to this community of of independent creatives, and and always have um, through the various things that that you do, like Life of an Actor and. Um, and and actually, uh, something I'll ask you about le- later called type assing or type casting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> type cast with the with the emphasis on ass. Yeah. Um, just just cool stuff that you do like that. So uh, thank you so much for joining and uh, let's hop right in. I, I know that you started um, with with the film Chicks One Hundred and One as as sort of a featured extra. And that was that was the beginning for you that sort of launched this passion for you. But take me back to growing up in, and take us back to growing up in Yonkers, and and sort of when you first knew that you were going to have a life of performance.
1: Um, yeah, it was it was you know, I mean, New York is just a a, a a state as a whole and the city. Obviously, you know, it's funny you talk to you know New Yorkers are so it's so big. People don't realize, you know, um, you know, you have the city obviously in the boroughs and then where I grew up in, in Mount Vernon and Yonkers, which is, you know, <laughs> some New Yorkers consider it upstate, but it's really not that upstate, which is hilarious to me. Um, you know, Mount Vernon is walking distance literally where, you know, my pop script was to the Bronx and, you know, Yonkers is just a hop skipping away to to the city really. So, uh, you know, it's just the energy in New York is just great. You know, it's a hustle constantly. It's, You know, people wanting to to do their own and create their own and make their own way. So, even as a kid, you know, I was always around creative creative energy. Um, My dad loved movies and music. You know, my mom was uh, really big on music as well. So, you know, that kind of was there, and that's why I started out was on the musical end. You know, I learned how to play drums. You know, when I was like seven or eight, and just continue to stay with through, through that and that just got me comfortable being in front of people, performing in front of people. Uh, Even though I wasn't necessarily acting, it was still just being in front of groups of people with the band. And drummers usually get solos and stuff. So, you know, I I never really was shy about being in front of a group of people.
0: Did your mom and dad do music or movies professionally at all?
1: No. Um, You know, I think my sister... Uh Yolanda was the you know, she my mother got her involved in dance. Um and then my brother Rob, uh, he DJ'd a little bit, you know, uh when they were you know, obviously when they were younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't as far as I know, um, I'm really the only one that kinda pursued it as heavily as far as the creative arts, uh, to this level. You know, everybody else kinda, you know, I family members are certain the military or, you know, they went the, you know, the, the hospitality route or business route, but um, you know, that was also back then in a time, you know, you know, 80s, 90s, where it was, you know, the thing was to get a get a nine to five, take care of your family, that sort of thing. So it was one of those, you know, kind of like hoop dreams or pipe dreams, as they say, where, you know, if you didn't get on at a young age, you know, you probably weren't getting on. And I was, you know, I, I started pursuing this obviously way later in life and in, in college, but it was just something I always was interested in kind of as a kid, but I never really, um, I never really thought to take it to a serious level because again, I didn't have family members that were active in it that I had access to or that I knew about. So I was really kind of the first one to go, all right, let me see if I can make a, a living out of this, you know?
0: Yeah. It's a really great point because, you know, I fell in love with music because my mom would play all this great soul and, and Motown music, uh, while we did chores. So, you know, yeah, we, exactly, we would, exactly. We would always have to do chores. She would she'd play those records, and those records would be the soundtrack to your life, and they would um, they would sort of illuminate and, and enrich these sort of otherwise boring, mundane, banal sort of things like like cleaning a tub. Uh, And I could never clean my mom's tub well enough for her satisfaction. I (laughs) I never, I never could get it white enough, Chris. Like it was, it was like, do it again. Um, But as long as she had something playing in the background there, it was a little bit more pleasurable and you kind of fell in love and you started, you started to understand why songs worked and didn't why melodies worked and didn't. And the same thing was true of film, just that love of story. And um, I, you know, I got that from a lot from my mom where, where that, that charisma that she had um, turned into performance for me but who you know and is your family doing it professionally is an incredible edge and if you don't have it 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 will be it will be a different journey for you for you but but you got drumming young and you got so good at it that you got a scholarship right to college
1: uh correct yeah I got a musical scholarship to attend uh, Winston-Salem State University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And it was, um, you know, I, I honestly wasn't really, you know, of course I, I graduated high school and had good grades, but I was never really a school guy. Like I hated school pretty much after sophomore year high school, <laughs> it was boring. I just come in for the sports and band. And that's pretty much why I'm in school and, and the girls obviously, but you know, it was, it was like, I, I, you know, I was one of those guys that was always talking in class um, and and cutting up and, and being a clown because it was it was just like I just it just didn't hold my attention. I was like, why do I need to know some of this stuff? Like you know, meaningless dates, which we kind of find out later, aren't very accurate. You know, cl- clearly, you know, like Columbia did discover this and all. So I'm like, why am I learning all this stuff that's not going to apply to what I'm doing? You know, let me get my my English credit, my math credit, and keep it moving. And you know. Uh, so when the scholarship, you know, I had to go, you know, audition, obviously is audition process really, you know, for scholarship when it comes to the arts. And when I got it, I was like, I guess I'll try the college thing out, whatever, you know, um, which led to, you know, be becoming an actor. So I'm glad that I went. Uh, but, you know, but, I really, but, I, but, I, but how
0: did how did that happen, though, Chris? So, so how did going to school to be a musician somehow transcend into wanting to be an actor?
1: Well, North Carolina School of the Arts, which is a, um, you know, obviously a performing arts college, but it's, you know, at the time it was ranked top five in the country uh, when I went in, you know, early, early 2000s. And it's still ranked up there in the top 10 for sure. Um, They turned out some great, great, great actors for stage, film, and TV. Uh, Excuse me. They, you know, they were literally probably five minutes from. You know, the college that I went to, uh, the HBCU I went to in West Salem State. So uh, I linked up with a a guy there, Jordan, and somehow, I don't know how we wound up linking up. Uh, we met on, on West Salem State campus, I think. And he was like, yo, man, you know, you should try doing the acting thing. Like, you got a good look. They're looking for extras for this thesis film, which happened to be Chicks 101. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, well, you know, why don't you I, I go to school, at School of the Arts, right over there, like, why don't you come through and... And I was like, I, right, you know, um, I'll look at it. See, see, what's good. And you know, because I, I had no attention of like to me, acting was was kind of you know a bunch of models running around, saying lines. <laughs> like, I really didn't. Obviously, I didn't understand the process of it. But to me, it was just like pretty people on camera. Like I'm like, ah, you know, I like the music thing. You know, I get. You know, that's that was more my musicians are the life of the party. You always hearing about them having the best parties and yada yada. And I went and I saw what these people, you know, these these young students and young staff were able to do with no money from the school and and, and converting a place into a club, and seeing what the director was able to do with these actors. And I was like, okay, this this might be I, right. this might be you know something I want to look into and and check into, and it, it just the experience, you know, being on that set. Like it really, even though it was a 12-hour day, like it to me it was. Like taking a kid to Disney World for the first time, it was like, yo, this is how movies are made. This is crazy. Like, I would have never thought this much work went into, you know, what we see on the screen. And from there, that's when the bug hit, man. It was like, all right, I'm going to take some acting classes. You know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And that's really where the journey journey started. So from me, you know, getting the scholarship and being a musician, it transitioned into another, another uh, art form. So, you know, that's how that, that piggybacked.
0: Yeah, we we spoke with Ashley Pereira recently, who did the lead in the psychological thriller All Light Will End. She talked about how, so she started as a lead in a rock band and how she had been in front of crowds that were, you know, a thousand people deep and have people cheering for her, uh, you know, at the end of the songs and cheering for the band. And, you know, that feels really good and it's a great ego stroke. But she had never felt the appreciation that she had felt at the end of that set when uh, they, the, the crew and, and cast all clapped for her. Like that level of personal appreciation from people you've grown close to because, you know, a film becomes like your family because you're on set with them so long and for such long days. Is Was that part of it too, just the cause I know exactly what you mean in terms of like the magic of being on set and figuring and just sort of understanding for the first time, Oh, this is how it's done. Um, is there, is, is that appreciation that direct personal appreciation part of also why you fell in love with it?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's intimacy, you know, um, you know, there's a saying that, you know, goes around in the acting community, like actors, you know, and a lot of people would be shocked. A lot of actors are introverts. You know, you would never know it because of what we have to do. You know, there, there, this phrase of, you know, being, being open publicly or being private in public. You mm-hmm. know, um, you know that thing where we have to wear our emotions on our sleeves publicly, and you know, do things that you know you would normally go. A normal person, you know, would go. A sane person, because actors aren't sane, pretty much or any filmmaker, but a sane person would, you know, go in their bathroom and if they had a bad day and and cry, or if they're at the office, they would go in the bathroom and cry it out and then fix themselves and come out like nothing happened. And that's, that's stuff that we have to do on a regular when we're doing these takes, because we're telling the stories of this is how, you know, this person felt, or this is what this person does. And I think that's what gets people to come to the movies or watch TV or whatever, because we're, we're holding up a mirror and saying, this is what You know, you look like we see you. This is what you look like. Uh, And, 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 you know, though you think nobody notices, people notice and hopefully it encourages them to talk to someone or encourages them to chase a dream or encourages them to confront a fear. And so when you get that appreciation at the end of a set, you know, like say you do become family. It's great when, you know, people that have watched these same scenes over and over and over again, or know what the script is, continue to show you love and, and 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 applaud your, your effort as as an actor. And uh even with you know, even with Wildman that was great because, you know, it was you know, we all knew how much, you know, how tight the schedule was, how tight the budget was, but we all knew like, okay, this is when it's done, we're gonna give people that nostalgic feeling. And then to see, you know, when we're screening the film you know, to see the love that we all got, you know, you, and I'm sure you felt it too. It was, it was, it was great. It was nice for the audience, you know, a nice intimate audience to to appreciate that. But then also to see each other again and remind each other of, of how great it was to, to get that love, you know, when, when Ted killed it or, you know, we would do something, you know, funny. And, and, you know, Jack, Jackie and Steph were, were appreciative and happy about it. So it was, it was it was all it was all good and you get that feeling every time on set when it is a nice positive vibe because you know unfortunately like any workplace you have sometimes you get on there and you just have negative energy and you gotta kind of get away from it but it that feels a lot better than per se you know performing in front of a football stadium in front of thousands of people and you know you know we're doing a drum solo or something and people clapping is cool but that that's just the energy in the stadium like people mm-hmm. are gonna do it anyway but when you're on an intimate set it's people don't necessarily have to have that energy it's it's more you affect them directly because of how close proximity you are. And it just feels good, man. It's is really a high. That's the thing. You know, if you talk to any actor, it's like, we we know we killed an audition or killed a performance. And the casting director, the director, the audience, whoever, gives that clap when they're supposed to clap, laugh, and they're supposed to do a when they're supposed to. It's, it's a high better than any drug on a planet, man, because it's, it's like, all right, cool. I You know, I did it. Like, this is what I was supposed to do, and it happened.
0: Right. And that euphoria is real because I think everybody that's around a particular performance on set knows that, okay, as long as it comes out of the edit the right way in post, yes. that scene is going to crush. And I, I remember, and you spoke about Wild Wildman and, and by the way, Jackie, I've, I've, she's might be the most detailed oriented, uh, director I've, I've been around, um, uh, she so she, she does um, a really good job of, of the fine details. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember that that scene at the end of, of Wild Man with Ted and and George And what what the the viewer might not realize is is that even though Ted is in the sleeveless tank top, it's 44 degrees mm-hmm. outside. Uh, the sun yeah. is, the sun has gone down um, and this is the 17th take and he is really pushing you know, George on the ground, (laughs) you know, he, which is, who is a child, right? So he's really pushing him on the ground in the cold over and over and over and yelling right in his face. And, uh, on that last take, I remember just getting goosebumps because I was like, that's the one we got it. That that's the one we want to have. And I knew it was going to be a great scene and and it played out um, in the theaters as well. It really was a, was a mood turner, uh, for the audiences that, that got to see it, uh, during its festival run. So yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you uh, on that. You, you are, a, a a teacher of, of this craft as well. Uh, highly mm-hmm. appreciated one at that. Um, you started as an extra, uh, in, in this movie, Chick, I think it's chicks One oh one, but you stood, but, but you stood out, um, I've heard a lot of stories of, of people just saying, OK, if you're an extra, don't don't be that guy or girl that does something the director doesn't want you to do. It's, it's kind of suicide, career suicide. But so many new creatives, which which our our podcast is focused on uh, to a degree, that's that's going to be their first role. They're going to be an extra. So what what is your advice to to stand out on a set as an extra without being obnoxious?
1: Uh, you know, I, I'm, 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 you know, I teach my students, uh, this, this, this phrase of, you know, it's always better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Mm-hmm. I, I firmly believe that, um, that being said, you know, do it intelligently. So if you are, let's say like, in my instance, it was a club scene. And the lead actor comes into the club and he sees the, you know, this is the guy who like has all the ladies after him and chicks love him. And he sees that one girl that he, you know, he he thinks he's going to get, but she's obviously hit to the game. So it's almost like a Hitch situation where, you know, you got Hitch who's like the master of getting girls and he comes across the one that kind of makes him feel like he he doesn't know what to do. Uh, And so lead actor comes in. And, you know, we're all dancing and stuff. He's making his way through the crowd. And at the time, I didn't realize that what I was doing or what I would teach an actor now, how to find the camera, right? Like they say, find the light, find the camera. Mm -hmm. I just instinctively was like, okay, well, the camera's following him, so I'm going to follow this guy around. And, you know, because that's just whatever. But I was doing it in a way that was natural. It wasn't, I'm going to follow this guy around and try to steal his light. It's like, okay, if I was in a club, and I see this cat walk in and all the girls turn their head toward him and they're going to go to his VIP section. I'm going to roll with this cat and say I'm rolling roll with him because that's what the ladies are going to be. Like that was my thought process. And I guess the director, you know, cause I was being authentic, you know, even though I wasn't acting, it was, that was my mindset. That's what I'm going to do. The director saw that, you know, and he was like, Hey man, you know, you got on some flashy shoes and, <laughs> you know listen that you know because I, I wouldn't dress like i'm going to a club like you know you know, i'm not just going to go in there and dress regular like i'm gonna try to get some attention and especially you know a young guy in college is like i'm I mean, living that club life like i do this every weekend mm-hmm. so i'm gonna go and 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 stand out you know as far as you know what i'm wearing and he liked it and he pulled me aside and he said all right you know here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna push post you up at the bar when the guy comes through you know he's gonna try to hold the girl she's gonna ditch him and you're gonna you know, look at them like, damn, crash and burn kind of deal. Don't say anything, but just you know. And of course, I, you know, say something. The director's, hey man, I don't need you to say anything. Just kind of. But again, this is you know, kind of the first set that I'm on, of, of this caliber. And you know, I, it, it really is just about you know being honest, but also following direction. You know, the director specifically wanted me to do something. I took it, understood it, did it, and that's that. You know, it happened to make make it in. Now that doesn't necessarily mean. You know, you become a superstar after that, of course, but for any actors who are just starting out or thinking about getting into the, the, the industry, well, don't, you know, as far as film and TV, stage yeah. is obviously different. As far as film and TV, you know, if you haven't started training yet or been looking after that and you've been pulled onto a set, the simplest thing is just to watch. That's your best friend is just to watch and observe. Watch how the camera's moving. Watch what's going on. Keep your mouth shut. Don't talk. You know, just watch. And if you watch and learn, you know, you watch and observe, you actually learn a lot more. And then you can now maneuver and go, okay, cool. The camera is going to be over in this section. So if I kind of just, while I'm dancing, take two steps back and just be over the lead actors, you know, left shoulder, you'll see my profile. I might be blurry, but, you know, I can pause it and say, hey, that's me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and watching that. Cause I, I think I noticed a lot of background, you know, we just had that on a production, the television show I just worked on. We had a club scene. And a lot of the actors were turning their backs to the camera and all that. And they were living in the moment of dancing, which I love. That was great. But then you had some actors who were trying to look into the camera and they don't realize the cameraman is not stupid. You know, this is their job, professionally they do that. So the moment they see you spike, what they call spiking the camera, he's going to turn the camera away from you. And if you keep trying to move in, the second AD is going to come up or the first AD even is going to come up. And they're going to go, hey, man, I want you to come over here by the bar and stand. They're going to move you because they they see this in the monitor. They're not dumb. They see you doing that. So stop trying to steal the light. You know, just watch. And if you're observant, you can get slick enough to where I can position myself and open myself up and get caught just a little bit. And, you know, then at that point, it's kind of luck. It has to be on your side, too. You know, maybe the director likes what you're wearing or likes how you winked, you know, at the lead guy. If he's interacting with you, he or she is interacting with you. You know just be natural like if if you're in a club setting and somebody approached you and said something to you in the club or whatever how would you normally react don't do anything extra for the camera just be yourself and that typically will honestly have you stand out more so than anybody else who's trying to act the part
0: that's I think that's sage advice it's this idea of walking to the line without without crossing it yeah and then learning because no um No part is too small. You always have an opportunity to stand out. Um, Never forget that, like, John Cho's, like, entire career started as a bit part where he wants to, you know, fuck Stifler's mom in American Pie. He was just a kid at a party who really, really stood out and really got laughs in just a couple of lines. Yeah. Jonah Hill.
1: Superbad, you know, this guy come in, he's trying to buy some pimp fish shoes. Uh, or not Superbad, <laughs> bad excuse me. Uh, you know, obviously he was known for that, but in uh, 40-Year-Virgin, old he's trying to buy some pimp shoes, you know, and he's trying to, you know, get on and, hey, let me buy this. Or What about this eBay thing? You know, and then you go to Superbad and then fast forward to this great career that this man is having to where he's, mm-hmm. you know, even directed his own stuff. And that's the thing is, you know, there's a lot of people who got on by being, you know, in the background or doing a little – you know, uh, uh, best they say, bit parts. But as you said, I don't believe the small parts It's uh, I don't even think they're small actors. I think they're, you have, you know, puzzle pieces. And that's how I look at it. I'm like, every puzzle piece is important. You know, if you're putting a puzzle together of a dog sitting in the grass and a tree is in the background, you know, if you frame that and that little tree in the background, it may be a little dot, that puzzle piece may be a small dot. But if you leave that piece out, when somebody looks at the picture, they're not going to look at this beautiful picture of this dog and blah, blah, blah. They're going to go, you're missing a puzzle piece. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it is. So if you're a background don't feel like you're insignificant, you know, just know, just know what part of the picture that you are. You know, mm-hmm. if you're just the tree, don't try to be the tree and the river and the dog's ear. Just be the tree. That's all you got to do is just just be that. And, and you will complete the bigger picture. And even if you don't get the shine and the accolades, because here's the thing, guys. You know, for those who are listening, uh, I honestly believe that the issue is a lot of people, especially in, in acting schools, are not taught, you know, that not everybody's going to be the superstar. The lead is the lead for a reason. They carry the bulk of the weight. It's just like being a captain on the team. You know, when the Patriots go to the Super Bowl, by the way, I'm a New York guy. I'm a New York fan. I love New York. I hate the Patriots. I'm putting mm-hmm, out there. I don't mm-hmm. care if Tom Brady listens or any fans. I don't like you guys. That's just a New York Boston thing. But I'm using this as an example because obviously he's regarded as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, which, you know, if you take away some of the cheating stuff, he is. But anyway, (laughs) um, I had to throw that jab in there, you know. Uh, But for, you know, all seriousness, like Tom Brady, you know, he's, you know, his story is great from where he evolved from. But you got to look at, you know, when the Patriots win the Super Bowl, for say, or whatever, that he gets, you know, even even if he didn't do he didn't score the most touchdowns whatever he's probably going to be a lock for the MVP or he's definitely going to get the last interview after the coach you know Tom how's it feel to be considered a great quarterback you know and everybody else they don't interview the offensive linemen and all these other people who protected this man so he could throw the passes so you know it, it's it's one of those things to where you may not get the shine and the glory but understand that you contribute if it wasn't for those offensive linemen Tom Brady wouldn't have a Super Bowl ring. Because he mm-hmm. needs people to protect him and throw the ball. One for his receivers. One for the offensive coordinators on the on the sideline. Yada yada yada. So it's the same thing with the film industry. You know, you may be in a film with Johnny Depp, and he may be getting all the interviews and the praise. But understand that that pirate scene, pirate ship scene, wouldn't have been the same if you had no background. You know, it wouldn't have been the same. You know, in this football stadium movie, if if Tom Hardy, you know, for Dark Knight Rises, didn't have everybody to talk to. So understand that you're part of the, the the bigger picture, but don't try to be more than what it is. You know, your time will come, you know, just keep going at it, keep going at it. And maybe you get the superstar status, maybe you don't. But every actor eventually gets to be a lead in some point or
0: another, the more you work. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. Um, are, are you ready for me to uh, potentially blow your mind? Sure, absolutely. So me and you have some interesting similarities. Uh, that, that I was, one of which is unbelievable. Like, so I'm just, I'm kind of selling it a little hard here because I, I found it to be extremely unlikely, but I'll, I'll go down the list for you. You are a great bowler and I was a championship child bowler. Um, Nice. So we both bowl.
1: Kingpin, huh?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you became an uncle at the age of four. I became an uncle at the age of eight. Wow. And, um, we were both named after Christopher Reeve. Very nice. That's it's not, awesome. No, no. Imagine the impact this man has had.
1: Guys, <laughs> and I was, you know what, he was a great, you know, the one thing I like about him, as I, as I got older and my mom told me the story of how, you know, I was after him I mean, I did more research into him and his foundation, you know, after his accident and all things. The one thing I I think, if anything, he became more of Superman after his accident because that could have easily, you know, literally. Obviously, he was crippled, but figuratively, that could have crippled this man's life as far as mentally. Like he could have been like, "I'm just, I'm in a wheelchair. I'm useless. Like nobody, you know, people have to take care of me. I can't do anything." Mm -hmm. You know, he still was acting after he was in the wheelchair. He popped up here and there, and it was it was one of those things where he he became. A symbol of of you know of strength. The way it's like you, you, as long as your mind is functioning, you can do you can still do whatever you want to do. You know, it may not be in the same capacity as how you imagine, but it does, like acting wise, I'm pretty sure he would have liked to you know been walking around or running or doing whatever, you know, acting. But he still found a way to act. You, you know, he can still act and being in the chair, he was still able to speak. And he was able to, to get it done. You know, this foundation affected a lot of people. And, and to me, I, I used to hate when I would hear my name because obviously, you know, and I'm sure you know that, it's like, you know, your, your parents, when I heard Christopher, that just knew, like, either the belt was coming out or I was in serious trouble because, uh-huh. you know, they used the full name. But as I got older and realized what this man was able to do, you know, especially as, you know, a well-known person and celebrity because the interesting thing about it was, I wrote an article, and he said, you know, when they interviewed him about actors and politics, because I don't know if you remember, he did a commercial, I think some years, it might have been like three or four years before he died. And it was, uh, he got a lot of flag for it, because in the commercial, you see him stand up and start mm-hmm. to walk across the stage, like mm-hmm. with, with, you know, some um, crutches or whatever. And they got a lot, of course, it was CG, obviously. And they got a lot of flag because they were saying, you're giving false hope to people. And he was like, I'm not giving false hope. Like, I'm, we're... My foundation is working with doctors and companies that potentially feel like we can do spinal repair. Like that's beyond damage to get people to where with assistance they can at least walk again. Mm -hmm. Or if anything, you know, get sensation in their limbs. And, you know, they interviewed him about politics and whatnot. And he was saying, you know, as an actor, actor's job is to stay away from that. You know, just because you have a platform doesn't mean you need to speak on it you know, only speak when you know what you're speaking about. And that's why he was so passionate about this type of research. But he's like, I don't go into politics because that's not my lane. And I feel like, to me, he was an entertainer, not a celebrity. And I think there's a big difference in between the two. I want to be an entertainer. I'm the type of person where that's my job. You know, Mm -hmm. my job is to entertain folks in any sort of way when I'm working, whether it's on stage, TV, film, whatever. My job is to entertain you. When the camera's off, I'm just chris green i'm a normal dude i like to watch sports i like to go to movies myself i like to you know go hang out with friends you know obviously be a, be as best of a father as i can so tell my daughter like i'm when you call to me i'm not a zoo animal don't ask me to perform that scene blah blah, blah. and i get it some people don't know better mm-hmm. but then they get mad and it's like guys that's my job that's like me going up to somebody who works as a, as a trash man, you know, right. If that's the proper term, I don't want to demean anybody's title, but you know, your job when you go to work is to go and, you know, work the, the trash truck and pick up the trash and yada, yada, yada. What do I look like when you get off work and I see you walking to Walmart? Hey man, you might neighborhood a trash man. Hey man, go clean up that trash in all three. What? Are you serious? <laughs> you know, I like, no, I'm off work. Knock it off. So, it's the same thing for for us, man, and that's why I respect you know to it back around Christopher Reeve a lot. So that's dope that you know we have that that name, which means we're, we're obviously destined for greatness too. Because anybody with the name Christopher, I've noticed, does really really well anything that they do—sports, music, movies—they do really well. So I think we're I think we're good to go, man.
0: Yeah, it's a good, it's a good uh, group to be a part of for sure. And yeah, um, yeah maybe maybe the correct term is receptacle wrangler. I, I don't know. I don't know know what it is, but, but yeah, he, he had to overcome some things and, and, um, and he made the best of a situation. What, what, um, would you say you're, you're having to overcome now? What, what are some of your challenges?
1: Um, I think in this stage in my career right now, it's really, it's really just, I, I, it really is just changing the narrative you know right now in my career you know a lot of casting directors you know are having trouble or, or i'm having trouble getting them to understand that i'm an actor you know not just a, a specific type and granted yeah being typecast is keeps you working but it, when it becomes an issue of that's all they see you as then that's in that to me, is, is hard to change, and, and that happens as your career blossoms, even on every level. You know, it's like Keanu Reeves, you know, he constantly has to kind of reinvent, it, uh, reinvent himself. You know, when Bill and Ted was out, that's all they saw him for. You know, here's mm-hmm. the guy that's going to do that, and that's why he started doing, like, Point Break and, you know, different action things, and then he became an action guy. You know, speed. All right, cool. Then it was like, I want to do some rom-coms or some serious acting, because people won't cast me in these serious roles, and then he got Devil's Advocate. he's doing Sweet November, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And then... You know, Matrix comes along, and it's just like, you couldn't tell anybody. Keanu Reeves could have done, could have shaved his head and done a commercial. Hi, I'm Keanu Reeves. I have alopecia, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, oh, look at Neo with alopecia. Like, that's all you would have saw was Neo. And that's why I think he took a break for a while. You notice he went away for a while. He was like, man, I just can't escape it. Like, Which is good. He did such a great job in his iconic character, but it's like that's all people wanted to see him do. Now you fast forward, now he's having the same headache because he's John Wick now. People forgot about Neo, but now he's John Wick. Here's the guys Give him a gun, he's going to shoot everybody, you know. Mm -hmm. And you constantly have to let people know. My job as an actor is to make you fall in love with these characters, but that's not who I am. And so I'm personally going through that. Now I feel with, you know, fighting casting directors on, you know, when I want to submit for certain roles or even sometimes my team. And they're like, well, we don't see you as that. I'm like, you don't just because you don't see me as that doesn't mean the audience is not gonna see me as that. So right. let me do what I do, and if they, it works, cool. If it doesn't, whatever. Yeah. And that's that's one of the toughest challenges I'm having right now in my career as far as and it's, but it's also I'm looking for particular work. You know, I'm not just trying to take anything because I feel like I'm at a point where I say, all right, now I want to transition into telling type of stories that I want to tell mm-hmm. and these characters that I want to do. And so that always becomes hard because you know financially, obviously. You have to take care of your family, and so you know it's going to be times where you have to take stuff that you may not necessarily are excited about, uh, be excited about. Excuse me, or you know you may turn down things. It's like, man, that would have been really good, but I just I don't want to tell that story. And so now it becomes the pick and choose game, you know.
0: Yeah, and is that why you created typecasting? uh, The little short vignettes—they're they're really funny. They're little short, quick little vignettes. And they get their point across really well, um, even though they're just a couple of seconds long each. What What was the idea? What was the spirit behind creating that?
1: Yeah, myself
0: and my my dude
1: Roy, good friend, you know, brother of mine. You know, we've we've known each other now for almost ten years. I think man, it's going by quick. But Roy Williams Jr., um, always showing him love. He, shout out to him. He just actually, if you guys saw Blackish, um, this last episode of Blackish, his young brother, Anthony Anderson, kind of got a little upset with for the, for the, not upset with, but like when trying to calm him down because they were having a party and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's him. He, you can always spot him because cool. he's the, the, the dark-skinned dude wearing a tight-ass t-shirt. So, <laughs> uh, always. But um, yeah, that's my brother, man. Mad love for him. And we one day just kind of, we're discussing i went to visit him in la and we were just talking and he was just like yeah man i'm just so sick of like getting these whack-ass auditions where it's like thug number one and just because i'm a you know a black dude or model guy because he's you know he's in good shape and the same thing with me You know, i got tattoos so it's always thug 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 and i'm like i'm sick of this man and i looked at him i was like you know what i got my camera let's just shoot a little skit or something that we were going to put up on the gram or Twitter. where I was like, Let's just do this. You know, we go and do our own thing, you know? And we came up with this skit really quick, you know, and I, you know, I set up all the angles and, you know, I directed it and it was like, all right, this is what I want you to do. And we put the first episode up and, it, and it, people liked it. I mean, we didn't get a shit ton of views, but people would just, I always get comments on it. And it was just, you know, mostly from, people. I made it for people in the industry, particularly actors. Mm-hmm. And then him and I just started crafting, and we're like, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna make an office type, you know, production, you know, where it's like, you know, this is what goes on in show like a Mad Men kind of thing, and it's particular to our industry, but hopefully, other people will get it, and we're gonna talk about how this casting process, how like arduous and, and annoying this this casting process can be on both sides. So it's not like we're just bagging on casting directors because I do I have episodes that are out, and we're putting out, out some more. And it's available on YouTube uh, as far as the trailers, Vimeo on demand. We have it. I'm about to get it up on Amazon. And it, it, we're telling it from both sides because casting actors go through a lot of shit too with actors. You know, mm-hmm. they're coming in unprepared and not being ready. So it was, don't get it twisted. I'm not just bagging on them. And so we we're sitting there and I came up with the name and he was like, Yeah, I like that. That's dope. And then the emphasis of typecasting, it's a double meaning. You know, I always do things with double meanings. Obviously, typecasting meaning, you know, actors are always getting cast as a specific type based on how we look and our, our skills sometimes don't matter. But then the ass part of it, you know, is you know, people coming in there making asses of themselves, you know, whether it's the casting director being an ass or whether it's the actor being an ass, this process is nine times that ten when you go in there, somebody's making an ass out of themselves because it's such a stressful process that they forget about something, or they do something else, or you know, they they don't come prepared and or the cast is having a bad day because another actor made them mad or they got a bad phone call. Producers are up their ass, whatever. And so this process sometimes can be the most rewarding and most fun. But most of the time, it's it's a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. And that's what they ask. Them. it really is. It's not something that actors like I rarely run into actors, especially when we've been in the game for a minute. You know, any actor has been in the game for a while. I really run into actors where they're like, man, I'm so excited for this audition. It's stressful. Like, man, I don't want to do this shit. I hate it. It's stupid. Why are they doing that? Look at my demo reel, look at my resume, you know, or have me read with another actor and not your assistant who may not be an actor and they just do accounting. So they're not reading well. It's like, it's so many things that go wrong with it, opposed to things that go right with it. So, you know, that's the whole emphasis of tight casting is just to kind of poke fun at it and, you know, maybe make it a little less strenuous. You know what I mean? You know, not, not, so other actors can watch it and go, yeah, I've been there. And you know what? I'm not gonna let it stress me. I'm just gonna, you know what, that's what it is. I'm just gonna go and do my thing and leave. So it really through through comedy, we wanna kinda motivate and empower other actors and even casting directors to uh, with the point where it's like, okay, let's not not let it be that stressful. You know what I mean? It's supposed to be a creative, fun thing and it's become more of a business transaction. And of course those can be, you know, annoying. So that's really what, what it is behind that.
0: What, what do you, what do you believe you know on that note that, you know what do you believe can improve the process on both sides on the audition side and on the from the casting directors side how, how can we improve the process
1: for me personally i think it's respect i mean I, I i and don't get it twisted you know i i know obviously through working a lot of casting directors i have contacts to them directly and i may not agree with a lot of them but i also don't take it personally because it's it's business um you know unless I feel disrespected, and at that point, I make it known. And I think that's what it is. I think, honestly, it comes down to respect. I think the actors need to respect the casting director's process and time of why they have to format things a certain way, and you know, understand that they're following directions from production sometimes. And actors need to come in prepared, like the casting director is telling you, this is what we're looking for. Come in prepared. On the flip of that, I think casting directors should respect the creativity of actors. I think if an actor wants to read for a role. And, and they, they reject one role, but see another role that they fit in a breakdown and want to read for it. You wanted to see them anyway. Why not see them for that? Because, again, if they don't fit, then you don't pass them along. But, you know, I don't. I, you know, I feel like casting director shouldn't take it personally where, you know, an actor rejects a role, you know. And and, and you hear horror stories about that or, you know, maybe the casting director might have got upset or, you know, it's like, well, you're trying to you're kind of stepping on my toes. It's not that. It's just that I don't want to read for a waiter number one when you know jack the the consistent the patron of the diner is the same exact breakdown and more of a story to tell and i'm like okay i fit both of these guys of course i'm gonna read for for jack because he has a bigger story to tell and you know it's about progression for my career i don't want to stay doing under fives all day or these one-liners all day it's like you know my job is to progress if i want to do this as a career don't get it twisted there's actors out there who are hobbyists who just want to be on screen so they'll do that if that's the case I'd rather b- decline my spot and let this other actor go in and audition than, you know, me waste your time and my time. So I now, think it's a respect thing on both ends, you know.
0: Of course. Now, you mentioned something you said under fives. Will you explain to everyone what you mean by that? Yeah,
1: so so the industry term under five, which doesn't really exist anymore, honestly. I mean, it's it's term is thrown around, but the way these shows and stuff are going, now, at least from my experience, again, again I don't want to – Say anything on here today? People are like, "Oh, this is what Chris said." And it goes, "You gotta understand, this is." I have a lot of experience. This is from my experience and the dealings I've had. Every actor might tell you something different, but for me, seeing the transition of under fives were a big thing. Where it's if you basically had under five lines, you know that's what that was considered. You were still a co-star on a TV show or a day player on a movie, but you were not. You were going to work one day, pretty much. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. So, you that's know, basically, we weren't going to be up there multiple days. Now. You know, co-star roles can vary from one line, which is under five, all the way up to two or three paragraphs. It just depends on the production. It depends on, you know, the you know, how important the role is into telling the story. So, you know, that term is kind of like I don't hear it as often as I used to five years ago, you know, whatever. So, but that's what that is, is where you have under five lines as a performer. And and so you pretty much know you're only going to be there for like a day. Your character's there to move exposition or to deliver a message, and then get up out of there. You know, um, so you're still important to the story, but you're not. You know, you're not going to be like on the poster or anything like that, more than likely.
0: Good deal. You you worked with um, quite a, a list of, of names in your career: uh, Joel Edgerton, um, Nick Offerman, Hugh Laurie, Elizabeth Rodriguez. Um, You've, you've worked for a, a great number of people to, you know, Donald Glover's in there, of course, uh, with, with your roles with him and, and working with him. Um, who, who do you most admire and, and want to emulate, um, your career after and, and what do they do from a skill standpoint or a performance standpoint that makes them stand apart? I mean, it's kind of tough
1: cause it's, it's, a, it's really, a. amalgamation of of a lot of different people. Um, I would say the biggest influence, and a lot of people know this about me, it's no secret, obviously if you follow me on social media, but somebody who I highly respect and I think the biggest influence, because I identify with them more based on interviews and the roles they take, is Will Smith. Uh, this, This guy, you know, I remember watching the first movie I saw where I was able to go to the movies by myself and pay for my own ticket you know, with my allowance, and 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 you know, get dropped off, and I have to have my mom sitting there with me, and all that other stuff was Independence Day, and uh, it was '94, um, I believe, is when that came came out, and you know, on July 4th, obviously, and it it blew my mind to see this guy who I've been watching on Fresh Prints be the clown. Come in and save the universe, and it was like from there he became Mr. Summer. He was men in black, and, you know. He was just saving the world constantly. Mm-hmm. And but to see his energy, his energy is really infectious. I mean, this—I don't think I've heard anything negative from anybody that's done an interview about him, work with them. You see him on screen; like he, his energy is just—you want to be your best. And that, to me, is—is is, at the end of the day something i want my career to reflect is like every time you saw me on screen every time you saw me at work it was like i was bringing 100 percent. you know i was respectful um and and i made people want to work and he has a vast array of of credits you know i mean there's not one person on this planet who doesn't know literally globally who doesn't know who will smith is and to me i i As far as wanting a career that fruitful, yeah, I would want a career like his. I mean Bar none, he crosses race, he crosses religion, he crosses social class. You know, it's it's you see his name on a poster, you know, to me that's the ultimate goal. You know, and it's the same thing with Denzel Washington, you know, Al Pacino, you know, Christopher Walken, a lot of these older cats, even now if you go into a noon school, you know, Tom Hardy, you know, you put their names on a post, just a black poster and their names on white text, it will sell out. You don't have to have (laughs) any pictures. You don't have to have what the movie's about. You just say, Oh, Will Smith movie coming soon. And people are going to go buy tickets because it's like, it's proven it's, it's nine times out of 10, it's going to be a good movie or it's going to be entertaining.
0: Yeah. And Will Smith seems like such a obvious answer, but, um, do you realize that, that you're the first person uh, to give Will Smith as a response. Um, and we've done a lot of these interviews, Chris. I mean, a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. That's unbelievable, yeah. right? Like, cause it yeah, seems like, yeah. oh yeah, no, Will I mean, Smith, of course. But no, it hasn't been him.
1: Yeah, no, it's, and, and granted, you gotta look at different things. Now, from a craft standpoint, as far as performance wise, you know, I respect what Will does, uh, you know, but I like the Tom Hanks's, you know, the Denzel's, you know, the Michael Shannon's, I mean, these guys, they literally transform into their characters.
0: And Michael Shannon's unbelievable.
1: He's – and, you know, I had the pleasure of meeting. We didn't work together, but obviously, you know, I've been around him because he, we were on loving together. And mm-hmm. though we didn't work together, you know, just having a conversation with him. He, he's so – like he, and just watching him work, you know, I was able to watch him work. He, he gets lost in it, and it's great, but not in a, like, negative way. Like, it's great, and every time you see him play a character, it's like, man – and, and, and to tie the you know to tie it in you know he was in, a lot of people talk about the bit parts earlier he people don't realize he was in bad boys too. He's the guy you know he's the racist you know KKK guy that Martin and will pull out of the trunk of the and put in the trunk of the Cadillac mm-hmm. and people don't you know people don't realize that and and I'm kudos to him because Michael Shannon's six easy six four and they stuffed him in that little ass trunk. So either, you know, <laughs> you know, either, you know, kudos to him. I mean, I know Cadillacs aren't small, but they, they had a little CTS in and I don't know how they got his ass in that trunk. <laughs> um, but, uh, he, he's, he's just a phenomenal actor, man. And there's so many, like I said, there's so many that you can name. That are just great that I enjoy watching, you know, Viola Davis is queen, you know, she's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, you know Meryl Streep, obviously. It's in Helen and The list goes on and on and on and on and on. So, but for me personally, I identify more so, like I said, with Will because it's almost like he he had that same transition. You know, he started out music, rapping. Mm-hmm. You know, got into acting at a later age, and he committed to right, I want to be the best at this. You know, he same thing. He 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 had to deal with that too white for black, too black for white kind of thing. You know, it was like when he was rapping, he was with, you know, artists like Public Enemy and, and, and Run DMC and LL Cool J. You know, these are, you know, these guys are hard, they're thugs, blah, blah, blah. And then you see him making people laugh on Fresh Prince and he's doing Six Degrees of Separation. And now, you know, the white audience is like, oh, Will's a nice guy. And then black people climb like, oh, Will Smith's soft, you know. Mm-hmm. And he always had to find a way to bridge the gap between the two. And I've personally in my life have had to do the same thing you know, growing up in, in New York and then moving south, and now it's I'm a Yankee and having to deal with the southern things, you know, and then a little bit of racism in there here and there. And then going to an all white high school, like being one of the few black guys around. You know, I go to an HBCU, historically black college university, and people are like, you know, look at this guy is a white dude in a black and It's like, no, it's not that. It's it's I'm 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 a product of a lot of environments. Like I'm still me, but I just know how to uh, as they say move in a room as jay-z said move in a room full of vultures like i can understand how to navigate my path and and really quickly you know um ti you know the the rapper for those you know following or if not you know the cinema Man, ant-man and all these other movies atl and whatever you know uh, he did an interview on breakfast club and i love like it just I, I rewound it so many times i was like yo ti is, is just dope he's you know and and i'm gonna paraphrase because he said some things on there obviously he I'm going to let him just say it, but he <laughs> paraphrased on how he was like, you know, people look at me sideways because it's like, I could be that guy that's going to steal your girl. I could be that guy that's going to punch you in the face. I could be that guy that could drop trap music. And I could be that guy that could be a movie star. And I could also be a father to my kids. I could be a philanthropist. I could be all that and still be T.I. Like that's all me ain't nothing fake about it. I can do all that. It depends on the mood that I'm in. And that's the thing with me is like, why, with this industry, it's like, why does somebody have to be, One thing. Why do I have to be one thing to casting directors or to my agent or to fellow actors? Why can't I just be, oh, Chris Green can do this? He can do that. He can do this. And that's why I respect Will so much, is because he found a way to block all that out and go, you know what? You guys can put me whatever you want. But after my name is said, the word great follows. And so you can put whatever about. Will Smith is a great actor. He's a great basketball player. He's a great rapper. He's a great whatever, you know. it's it's going to follow. Somebody's going to say I'm great at that because I know how to do it. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's kind of the lane I'm going to play in. So,
0: yeah, I had all new respect for TI and I'm not a big reality TV watcher, but I've always loved his music, but then watching him and how he interacts with his kids and his family on, on that reality. And I know it's scripted to a degree, but, but, but a part of someone's personality, you can't script. And um, I was like, Oh, that's not who I thought I was going to see. And um, I've become even a bigger fan because of that. And I, I just for me, Will Smith is somebody who goes all in and and he has had to be a punching bag for for hip hop early. You know, people forget that MC Hammer was like was like a hard dude. Like, like when he first came out, like people didn't view hammer as the guy who went broke and wore hammer pants and danced. It was like, he was a dude from Oakland that you didn't fuck with. And, um, and, and a dude that came up, you know, in his own right, selling records out of his trunk. And that was who was opposite until vanilla ice came out. He, that was who was opposite of, of, of Will Smith. Um, but if you want to see him really, really act, and he took such a big risk early in his career, he, that six degrees of separation, Go watch that movie, yeah, uh, and and then tell me Will Smith wasn't all in because he—that is a massive risk as your very first, you know, large supporting role. Yeah, um,
1: and it's interesting thing about that, he did an interview and he he called, you know, Denzel. Um, and asked Denzel because you know six degrees separation came out you know what late eighties maybe ninety one or something like that you know it was, yeah ninety was, was, yeah yeah it was it was like early to mid nineties and he called he called um, Denzel when they found out about the kissing you know because six degrees also is from a play a lot of people don't realize that too is it was a play a stage play and so he called Denzel and and apparently Denzel told him you know uh, and Uh, to the recollection of the interview Denzel basically told him don't do that not because you know he's like you know from the art standpoint cool but he was like it'll it'll totally demolish your career if you do that as a black actor coming on the scene brand new if you do a kissing scene like that it's going to destroy your it's going to make it real hard Mm -hmm. and so we'll you know and if you look at it he's admitted this if you go back and watch the movie and watch that angle they shot that angle he doesn't kiss him he leans in he cheats it basically but if you look close enough, you can see they're like really far apart.
0: If mm, you that's interesting. It. Like, I'm gonna go back and look at that. I didn't realize. Yeah, that.
1: if you look, and that's why I shot at that angle. Shot OTS of the guy and Will leans in, and you know, and Will says to his to this day he regrets not doing it. He felt like you know he cheated the other actor, he cheated the 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 crew and stuff, and it became more of an ego thing. But you know, you live and you learn. But it's it's it lets you know how different times were then because you know you fast forward what. Uh, 10 12 years or so, um, you got broke back mountain and mm-hmm. that changed the game, you know. The, but the it Z- also
0: the zeitgeist at the time, too, Chris. I mean, yeah. you, you had Magic Johnson, you had a lot of stuff going on, um, in the black community around HIV awareness, too. Yes,
1: yep. yes. Yes, and and you know, gangst, you know, gangster was, you know, starting to pop off. So a lot of homophobic stuff. Which again, I love. Yes. love gangster rap, and that's just how you know language was in the in the hood. Jonah Hill was talking about that with his new film, you know, that he directed. He's like, you know, he had some gay, you know, producers and and and, and crew members or whatever. And there's a scene in there where he's dropping, you know, the word, you know, actors dropping the word faggot all over the place. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to cut the scene, and and uh, the producers pulled him to the side, I guess he said one of his producers pulled him to the side, who's, you know, um, a gay man, and he said, is that how everybody talked back then in the 90s? And he's like, honestly, yeah, that's how, like, young kid, like, you know, we, you know, oh, you being gay, or you're being a faggot, whatever, like, that sort of thing happened, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, don't cut it, because now you're not being authentic. Mm-hmm. And I respect that, That you know, shout out to that producer, because at the end of the day, again, we, this you're talking about the mid-90s, like, that's how, it was. that's why, you know, nowadays, I feel like people are so trying to be so PC and it's like, okay, I get it to one point, but the fact of the matter is this is where we come from. You know, whether you're talking about slavery, whether you're talking about racism, whether you're talking about uh, feminism, whether you're talking about equality, you know, people are saying, you know, oh, well, you know, it sucks as well. It's like, don't act like it didn't happen. How we change it is acknowledging the fact that it happened. And then we Mm -hmm. can have the dialogue about it and then change it. When you act like it never happened, you're you're actually perpetuating the cycle because it's like, oh, well, this never happened. So now you're you're actually condoning, in my opinion, condoning the behavior. So, you know, as artists, I feel like we we gotta be honest with that, man. Just like you have to be honest with your performance. You know, if I get a scene and I'm not too happy about it, like me personally, and 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 a lot of my friends know this, and I'm very like the word nigga just makes me it makes the hairs on my neck stand up. Mm-hmm. And, you know. You know, I know it's used in everyday lingo, but to me, I'm one of those people who's like, I don't want to use it because then I don't want the excuse from anybody, white, Latin, Indian, whatever, black. Well, you say it, so why can't I say it? I just think right. it's... the same. Yeah, I just think it's it's just, to me, it it why use the word knowing it's history? Like, it just doesn't make any, any sense to me. It, it, it's one of those things where I'm open about having a conversation about it. But, of course, as an actor, I'll get a script. And if I'm playing that role... And the guy says, I'm not going to be like, uh, oh, director, I don't say this. So no. <laughs> if it's authentic to the character and I know that's the character, I'm going to say it. You know, right. I'm going to say I'm going to say things that may not be PC. And if 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 a general audience member hates me in that moment for it, you know, that means Chris Green did his job as an actor. The problem is when the, screwing, the movie's over and you're still bringing me that energy, it's like, dude, woman, calm down. That's that's my job was to remind you of somebody who's like this. Hopefully you should be empowered to go, you know, you know what? This is what you look like. You shouldn't do that, you know, or you should change it up or you should grow and mature. Not Chris Green is a racist, you know, or Chris Green is a a womanizer. No, Chris Green is not. Chris Green is an actor. Chris Green's character, however... is is different so I think people just I think there's a level of sensitivity in this in this in our world not necessarily you know particularly in our country right now in the US but in our world there's a level of sensitivity that's at an all time high because people are afraid to have the conversation because you know you got guys out here saying reckless stuff like oh I looked at her and she's going to hashtag me too now and I'm going to get arrested it's like stop it you're being ridiculous stop being stupid Mm -hmm. but on the flip side you have some females who are taking it to an extreme to where it's I don't want you to to touch me because you know all men are. It's like okay, you know what? Go back in your cave and and just relax, because it's 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 just craziness on all sides, man. So I feel like us as artists to cycle it back is our job is to make to make people realize the truth, but also give them the courage to either change the narrative or improve the narrative in a way that these conversations can be had. And I think we have the power to do that, whether you're dancers, musicians, actors, directors, any creative, we have the ability to do that because we have, we don't have that filter and we can put our art out there and everybody's going to see it in a different way, but hopefully they see it in a way that, that influences them to go and make a change, you
0: know? Yeah. And I was recently on set for a music video that Logan Christopher was shooting and, um, was talking with um, the singer Star Murphy, and she was talking about how it's really important that we give each other the free space to compliment one another and, and not yeah. to let the PC time. Like, because the world is already uh, hard enough as it is, we're, we're, but, but now we're in a place where if a man walks up to me, he's scared to give me a compliment. Uh, she, she didn't want to be in that world, and she didn't want to be in a world where she can't compliment a guy either without it being sexual. Um, and I think we all need to work towards that. Just, just that kindness. Um, th- th- did some of your, uh, views, um, in terms of the industry, in terms of the macro politics of the country, in terms of, of finding your way, being a minority in entertainment, how, how was that formed by you being a father and how was it changed or informed by you being a father?
1: Um, it, several, several different ways. Honestly, man, it. You know, I think first and foremost, you know, having a child made me a better actor. You know, my daughter by far. You know, tell people she saved my life, which is a story from another time. But she literally um, did save my life, and and as far as a performer, I think.
0: Well, well, tell I, us tell, now. Now you've teased it, and I'm curious how. Well, it's how, it's how, just, how did she save your life? Do you mean yeah, that figuratively and, or literally? And,
1: and, um, both, and I think. You know, to kind of wrap it up in a nutshell, it was just in that point in time. Um, you know, I was just personally a lot of demons that I was battling. So, right, um, finding out that I was having a child. You know, hey, you gotta get your shit together, man, because ain't about you anymore. You know, mm-hmm. um, so it's it's really basically kind of just that. But you know, in, in career wise, it made me it made me realize that. I didn't have to keep my emotions locked away because, you know, you can't be that way to a child. child. A child is like a sponge. Everybody knows that. They absorb everything. So it's up to me to teach her it's okay to love, it's okay to laugh, it's okay to be sad, it's okay to whatever. And I can't do that if I'm not exercising that ability myself, you know. So, you know, that was the first thing that, that kind of opened it up. For me, as far as finding out I was having a child, and actually seeing her, you know, being born and 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 being able to hold her and 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 know that I had to protect this this little human. So allowing me to access my emotions, which made my performances better, my auditions better, you know, my my, my acting better. Uh, it also opened up my eyes in regards to to the racism. You know, I mean, I, I I I'm pretty tough when it comes to that. I can experience. You know, you can bump the gums, you can say what you want. I'm pretty vicious too. I'll, I'll give it back to you 100. As long as you don't come put your hands on me, now we got a problem because I'll knuckle up in a heartbeat. But you know, I'll give it. I'll just sit there and talk shit with you all day long. That doesn't bother me. Um, But and now it became okay. How do I teach her how to deal with that and protect her? Because I'm not. You know, I'm not going to be in school with her when you know. Kids are making fun of her, you know, or, you know, someone tries to bully her or whatever the case may be, which, you know, we all hope it doesn't happen, but it's cool. Let's let's keep it honest. Kids are vicious. We were all, we've all, we've either bullied somebody or been bullied. Like kids are just ruthless, um, because they are, and you know, they're, they're trying to learn. They're going to go with the crowd, you know? Right. You're socializing. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And protecting her from that and, and having, you know, to teach her how to deal with that. So the racism aspect of, you know, okay. People who don't look like you may not understand you, thus they're going to have an opinion about you and understand that there's nothing wrong with you being, you know, black or your hair being a certain way, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But then also female wise now with all the things that are coming out and my daughter is in the industry, she's done a couple of commercials, I've done two with her and, you know, she's auditioned for film and TV shows and. And and it makes me cringe because I'm like, if my daughter gets on one of these shows and I'm not able to be there because I'm working, so her grandmother or her mother has to go, you know, I'm I'm losing my mind because now I'm figuring, okay, is there going to be some pedophile type dude on set? Is there going to be, you know, when she gets older, is there going to be some dude, you know, she's a teenager who likes how she looks or, you know how she's built or whatever the case may be and it crazy. And I'm about to go and set and hurt somebody, you know, it's like now all these years <laughs> my mind, you right. know, you know what I mean? Like, no, I do I have okay. two daughters. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, Oh my goodness. You know? And, but now it also caused me to reflect and go, was I that guy? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, mm-hmm. and I don't, you know, luckily for me, you know, having, having two older sisters and you know, my mom and aunts, it's like, you know, I, I was taught, this is how you treat a female. So I don't think I've ever inappropriately touched anybody or anything like that, you know, to make them feel uncomfortable. On the contrary, I've been told several times while on set, how much of a gentleman I am, you know, and, you know, I make sure I help them out of the, you know, the transport van or if they're coming down those steps. Cause you know, if anybody's been on any set, the trailer steps are nine times out of 10. I don't know why they make them damn things so small. I mm-hmm. feel like kids are coming out of these things. I'm like, these are grown people make these steps bigger. Stop it. <laughs> right. Um, but <clears throat> you know, I've, I'm very conscious of, of that, but I'm also a guy I'm attracted to the female form. So I'm pretty sure there may have been times I got caught staring, you know, at a female wearing a tight dress or something, or, you know, I may have, you know, thought I was giving a cop, a proper compliment and it may have made them uncomfortable. And I didn't apologize immediately, or I didn't pick up on that. You know, I'm, I'm a human, you know, I'm definitely not perfect, but I'm, I'm glad, and I'm proud to know that I've never done any, you know, crazy Weinstein type of shit. Cause that's, I just can't even imagine doing that. You know, everybody's like, oh, man, you know, like this, you know, what the president does. It's like this guy, by far, I don't understand it. You know, everybody talks about Weinstein. I'm like, Donald Trump is must be Weinstein's father because <laughs> this guy is the absolute worst. I mean, to openly on record talk about grabbing women by their vagina, it's like, you know, clearly we know that's not what he said. It's like, yo, how is this dude sitting in the highest seat in the country? This guy is literally walking around. He complete, uh, That's the clip of him. In the rain. This guy is in the rain with an umbrella and just completely ditched his wife to go talk to the press. She's sitting there getting soaking wet. I'm like, yo, this is a dude who, are you serious? This dude dude's never taught any type of manners. Like, that's general 101. I don't care what kind of household you grew up in. If it's raining, even if it wasn't female, like, if it's raining, you got an umbrella and only one, people need to huddle up so nobody gets wet. This dude just completely left her in the rain. I was like, are you serious? If, if I would have done that and my father was still alive, he would. I don't care if I was the president, my father would have got on a plane. Went to the Oval Office in front of everybody in the media and slapped the shit out of the President of the United States for doing that. Like, this is what I mean. So it's it's hopefully that narrative gets gets changed. And I took it upon myself to educate more and talk to women more and find out. Okay, well, why do you find this offensive, or why is this okay? But on the flip side, I try to let them know from my perspective, not all men, but from my perspective. Okay, well, this is this may be what a guy means, or why not ask for clarity. And that's the thing that goes back to my point earlier. The conversation is not had. We need to be able to have the conversation with clarity and go, okay, well, why are you offended that I complimented your legs? Well, because of this, 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 like, okay, well, from my standpoint, it really was, hey, I think, you know, you are in great shape. I hear you talk about going to the gym regularly. I see the definition in your legs. Now I wanted to compliment that. Maybe I said it in the wrong way. That's what I meant. And let it be let it be that, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, you know, you can I think I think people are so defensive now. And like I said, sensitive to where you can always tell somebody's intention by their body language, by their tone of voice. You can tell somebody's intention. You know, somebody says something a certain way and, and they sound, you know, they sound malicious with it. You can tell that by how they're acting, how they say it. But if somebody could say the same thing and have a generally nice tone about them. You, you can also tell us like, okay, well, let me question that. Did he really mean that in a bad way? Or let me ask him or let me ask her what they mean by that. So yeah, definitely having a child is, is maybe just more, maybe be more conscious about asking questions and maybe be more conscious about being clear, being clear and having clarity yeah. opposed to just saying stuff and going, if you like it, cool. If you don't, then the hell with you, you know?
0: Exactly. And I can't tell you how many times I've stuck my foot in my mouth saying something that I thought was innocuous and, Turned out it was not and um, should not have said it in that way or the words didn't didn't come out as I anticipated. Um, And I I think having kids helps you learn that, too, because you'll find that your kids will be offended by something. You won't know why or they'll be hurt. They have their feelings hurt. You'll Mm -hmm. say, well, why is that? And then you figure it out and you figure out better words and better tone and better ways to to say things. Um, As a teacher, you you uh, you spend a lot of time with actors I'm curious, if you if you had a month to teach someone how to act, what would be the first three things you'd teach them?
1: Uh, do not bullshit. <laughs> that Expound upon that. Yeah, um, it, just be just be honest. When somebody comes in, you know, I offer audits. You know, or their first class. You know, I have an exercise that I do with people, and they don't get it, and they don't understand it until I explain it to them after, and they go, "Oh." And I'm like, "That's basically acting," and obviously, I don't want to spoil the exercise. You want to know about it? Come take my class. Um, but I will <laughs> say, it. I will say, the hardest thing I think. Anyone who jumps into acting or first gets into it realizes is that acting is not it, – it, it's one of these conundrums, right? Because as an actor, your job is to create this reality that may not be there. And unfortunately, people think it's a lie. It's like, no, no, no. Any coach that tells you your job is to lie as an actor is a bad coach, in my opinion, because you're not lying. You should be lying. Mm-hmm but we are creating a false reality, right? A fictional reality, but it should be based on some sort of truth. But the hardest thing that a lot of people I think have to deal with as an actor is in creating that reality. They think they have to make it grandiose. They think they have to do so much. And to me, it's like, not necessarily. You don't have to. Sometimes the best acting is not doing much at all because it, it's again holding the mirror up to what the world is, and maybe through an exaggerated lens. But exaggeration comes in different. You know, there's 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 a distant there's a um, a scale to that, right? Like you some you may have to exaggerate a little bit, or you may have to exaggerate a, a lot depending on what the material is. So I work with actors on just being comfortable telling a story. So, for example, if, you know, you were to come to me and say, okay, I want to be this action star, you know, I want to be like, you know, Wesley Snipes, the next Wesley Snipes, I want to be the next Blade, you know, I'll sit down with you and work with you and go, okay, cool. Well, let's, let's do the scene. And if you're coming in there and you're like running around and snarling and showing fangs and "Ah, I'm a vampire, Ah." (laughs) it's like, okay, well, but do vampires do that? What's the, what's the key thing to a vampire? The key thing to a vampire or or let me ask you this question. It's like, do you know somebody's a vampire? Nine times out of ten, you don't now the stereotype, the, the the stigma is they're really pale. Okay, well, the black people who do show up in vampire movies, they're obviously not pale. <laughs> right. Um, they're dark skinned or light skin or whatever. So from that, and I'm speaking specifically from that standpoint. So if it's like if I have a black actor, I'm dealing with you, and and you know, uh, and we're pretty close in complexion, obviously. But if I'm dealing with you, it's like you're not gonna come in there and, and whiteface. You know, mm-hmm. you can come in this, you it's like okay. Well, if you're a vampire, the thing is, I don't know you're a vampire, because we're out at night at a club partying or whatever. Cool. Now, unless you're speaking with this crazy accent, that I'm like, okay, where are you from? You're not from around here. But when we see these vampire movies, we don't know they're vampires until they pounce on their prey. Until they get ready to bite them or get ready to do whatever, so you coming in the room and ah, I'm a vampire. It's like okay, that's not reality. Even though vampires, as far as we know, scientifically in the real world, don't exist, they don't do that in movies either. They don't go running around. I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire, I'm gonna kill you. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're they're very seductive people. The thing is, they're playing the okie doke on you. So for me, it's I would tell somebody, okay, come in and be mischievous, or come in and you know you you gotta be a con man. Con this person because a person doesn't know they're being conned until they actually have been conned. At that point, they go, "Wait, something's not right," and by then it's too late. Right. So that's how I approach teaching as an actor, and how I approach my career as far as acting and, and the mentors that I've had, and taking little bits and pieces from them is. At the end of the day, they all maybe realize the, the job is to to tell, not to sh- uh, not to show. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. You know, really quickly, one thing that I I tell my students or what I work on, having them understand it in layman's terms, is I tell them an actor by profession. In my opinion, an actor is a combination of a professional athlete. When I say professional, meaning they do this at a high level for baseball, basketball, MLB, NBA, you know, um, soccer, you know, uh, like these, you're getting paid. To go out and do this, not some kid who is on the am one court. No disrespect to them, but it's just like, okay, no, I'm talking about somebody who, six months out of the year at the minimum, they have to get up, go train, go watch tape, go practice, take care of themselves, go to bed, get up and do it again, wash, rinse, repeat. Mm-hmm. They're a combination of professional athlete and a professional magician. Oh, so, okay. I tell people, yeah, so I tell people, it's like if you took David Blaine and put them with Michael Jordan, you know, this This is what you would get as far as that. You know, you would get Robert De Niro, Denzel Washington. Because from the professional athlete standpoint, like I said, their training is rigorous. Imagine if LeBron James didn't touch a basketball all summer. That. So from June, let's say he didn't make the playoffs. So from June to October, roughly. LeBron did not touch a basketball in any way, shape, or form. Not at David Buster's, not on the court, not with his kids, nothing. He never touched a basketball. You think that man going to come out there and give you 40 minutes and drop 40 points on his first game? Hell no. Nope. He's out of practice. It's out of muscle memory. He's not going to do it. So why is an actor, do you think, you can go to class for six weeks and then not take another acting class for a year and then think you're going to go in and kill your auditions? Not
0: gonna it's not going to gonna happen. It. No. Yeah, it's
1: not going to happen. You have to train every single day. I don't care if it's for 10 minutes or to 10 hours. You have to be training your craft every single day. If you want to do this at a high level professionally and be taken seriously. So yeah. that's where the professional athlete standpoint comes from. The magician standpoint is the tell, not show, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you went to, see, if David Blaine came up to you and did a card trick and I met him, by the way, you know, that guy's creepy, but he's, but he's cool. Good.
0: Creepy energy, right?
1: yeah creepy yeah. but very cool very cool Cool dude but he's just really it's like it's and it's not creepy like he's a stalker it's just like how do you do this i'm standing right here watching you and you still did it and it's like okay i know i i see why harrison ford reacted with the get the fuck out of my house like i'd be mm-hmm. like dude okay you need to go away from me because i'm afraid you're gonna put some sort of spell or something on me
0: yeah we um, met him on the streets <laughs> in nashville and he he changed the time on my friend's watch and my friend was is, is grew up religious and um he, he wanted me to take him home <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. after he met yeah. David Blaine. He didn't want to be out anymore. It was, it was amazing how he transferred that energy over to my friend. That's
1: hilarious. He did, he did a, I met him in LA, um, at the Grove actually. And he did a card trick, um, which he's following me on social media, which was dope. That right there just made me giddy. I was like, Oh yeah, that's, man, pretty Blaine, that's, cool.
0: that's pretty fire. That's pretty fire.
1: Yeah. He, he did the, He did the card trick thing. He did the, you know, Uh, is this your card? And she was like, no. And and, then he looked over at, at her friend and we were all, I mean, I'm watching this guy's hands the whole time, Chris, the whole time. And all he did was just, he didn't even touch her friend. And it was like, this your friend. He said, yeah. He said, do me a favor, reach in your inside pocket. At that point, I literally had to leave. I was like, this card shows up in this guy's pocket. I'm literally leaving LA. Like I'm not even leaving the Grove. I'm leaving (laughs) Los Angeles. And sure enough, the guy pulls the card out and everybody's just like, this is, I don't understand. don't understand and we're sitting like the guy's got to be in on it and the girl's like no this dude we've never seen david in our life he's been attached to my hip the whole day we've never seen david this guy's not left my sight there's no way in the hell i'm like all right yeah i gotta go but um (laughs) you know the the magician aspect is david Talks about how he carries around and and when I talked to him even then, it was great to hear this. He's like, I always carry around two decks of cards. Or oh, he's like, me leaving the house without my cards is like leaving the house without somebody's cell phone or their keys or their wallet. He's like, I just doesn't have, I will leave my keys before I leave my cards. Mm. And he constantly is is you know doing tricks with them. But the thing is, imagine if David Blaine came up to you and he told and he he showed you how he does his magic trick. It loses its luster. That's the whole thing. While we're fascinated by magic, is we're trying to figure out how did you do this? Mm-hmm. How did you do that? But the moment we find out how a magic trick is done, guess what? Do we want to see the trick anymore? It's like, oh, that trick's cool, but I know how to do it. Yeah. So it's not. It's not important. And it's the same thing with acting. I'm like, if you show people, this is how I'm going to do this performance. Let me show you how much. And then why would you expect them to watch the movie? They already know what. They already know how you're feeling. They already know how it's like. It's not important to them anymore but when you do it you just tell the story and you do it and you don't go through the whole well this is my this is what I was thinking about and this is when you just be honest with yourself we will read it and, and we'll sit here wondering like why are they making me feel this way why did yeah. they remind me so much of my dad my uncle my aunt you know my niece my wife my brother my sister my my third grade teacher why did they it's like they're appearing into my mind that's exactly how I feel in life right now that's the magic trick as a good actor is when the audience leaves and they have this conversation They're like, man, that, that really touched me. So I tell, that's what I tell my students. I'm like, you have to put forth the training effort that an athlete does and you have to go out and, and be as mystifying and, and brutally honest as a magician is, mm. you know, period. And, and never, never reveal, your, your secrets, you know, they're they're your secrets. That's what makes them powerful is we want to know why you're feeling this way, what you're thinking. And it's like, that's, no, I, you know, that's for me.
0: Yeah. It's great. So do not bullshit. Uh, I like it. Uh, so when you're preparing for a role, um, are there any, are there any unique resources you, you use to, to get prepared?
1: Um. Absolutely. Uh, first thing, I mean, and, and everybody I'm pretty sure starting out has heard of this, even the general public knows about it, but IMDb um, Pro for any actor is your best friend. An actor say, oh, well, money. First of all, let me say this. Any actor listening, you are a business. The business side of it, you are a business. You are a sole proprietorship or an LLC, whatever you want to consider yourself. You are a business. So every time I hear an actor bitch about money, you know, in regards to investing in themselves, not, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, uh, well, they want me for an audition in LA and they just told me at three o'clock and I got to be there at six o'clock and it's a thousand dollars. I'm not talking about that. Yeah. That's insanity. Don't fly. If you can't tape, then unfortunately you just got to miss the audition. I get it. I'm talking about investing in, you know, like headshots, you know, a a website, whatever, that type of stuff. When I hear an actor bitch about money in regards to that, I really want to choke (laughs) them because... To me, it's like you are a business. That's just like saying, you know, that's like Ruth Chris saying, oh, we want you to come to our restaurant. And our steaks are $50 and, it, and you know, it's so expensive to eat at our restaurant. And then they bring you out a microwave patty with some plastic silverware. Mm-hmm. Are you are you serious? I'm not paying $50 for that shit. That's mm-hmm. what it is for an actor. I'm not going to take you seriously and you come in there with a CBS printed headshot from Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm not taking. Why should I give you money and you're not investing in yourself? I don't want your. I don't want to be a part of that business. I want to work with a business that's that's has something to bring to the table. So, IMDb is not an expensive investment. It's nineteen dollars a month, or like a hundred something dollars for for the fifty or seventy dollars for the year or whatever. That is the best best IMDb Pro is the best tool in my opinion, and no, they're not paying me to say this. I just, it's always benefits to me it is yep. the best tool, but they, but they can, if IMDb hears this, by the way, if you want to you know, feature your <laughs> boy, it's cool. Um, it's just a good, it really is just a good tool because when I get an audition, the first thing I do is go to IMDb pro and look at the director's past credits. Or if I don't have the director, the producer's past credits. If I don't have that, the writer's past credits. I want to look at these people because nine times out of 10, just like actor actors are typecast. Writers and directors, they have a flow. They stay in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Scorsese, even though them. he does different films. Exactly. Even though he does different films. When you think of Martin Scorsese, you think of the Italian mobster, that kind of noir, that kind of filmmaking. Robert Rodriguez, you think about something like a Desperado or a Machete or something like that. You know what I mean? Like they can do different things, but they they have their lane they're comfortable in. So I look at that and go, okay, I'm auditioning for this person. They're into action. They're into drama. They're into dramedies. They're into com- comedy. They're into like the strange kind of crazy Woody Allen type stuff. You know, they're they're into all these different things. So this is more than likely with these two sides, maybe this is the field they're going for. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the comedy. So maybe it's like their other comedies. Let me see the pacing of it. Let me go watch a clip of it. Uh, you know, the casting director Let me see what type of things they cast Oh, they tend to cast for this network regularly And this is the type of shows that go on there Or oh, they cast these type of shows the, All that information is pertinent to you Telling the story as an actor Because I'm not going to come in there And get this real dramatic performance For a show that's, that's That cares less about that That's more action driven you know, I'm gonna come in here and give this boo-hoo, boo-hoo. and they're like, have you seen our show? Nobody cries on our show people get punched in the face and they don't cry. Why are you doing that? <laughs> right. you know that's gonna take me that's gonna take me out of it. So I look at IMD Pro to, to kind of look that up. maybe you know I like to personally have a face when you know that I put on somebody when I'm acting with them. So like for example, if I'm auditioning for let's say you're auditioning for Walking Dead you know I, I mean I you know I had a little spot on the show but let's just say you're auditioning for Walking Dead. And they tend to give dummy sides. But you know you're auditioning for Walking Dead. If you're looking at the sides and the character's name is James, but he has a lot of dialogue and he's talking about protecting this or whatever, you can – you know, it's a fair assumption to to say, oh, maybe this is Rick. Or maybe this is Negan. You know, somebody in a position of power on the show. Mm -hmm. Watch the show. I like to go, okay, well, if this is Rick, I know what Andrew Lincoln looks like. I can picture talking to him. While I'm doing the scene and not just some random blank face person, you know, I, that helps me. So I like to look at that. Like if it's a show I'm not familiar with, I'll look at, and they give you actual sides. I'll look at, okay, this, this actor is playing this character. This actress is playing this character. Okay. This is who I'm talking to in the scene. Great. Got it. Let me watch how they perform. If there's any clips of it available, use that to your advantage. You know, there's castings on there. You can find agency info on there. So, when I hear, I just say, Oh, I don't have the money to pay for that. Well, that's going to progress. You, as a business, you have to invest in yourself. You invest in yourself and you flip it. You invest in yourself and you flip it. Nobody's going to give you anything in this industry unless you were born into it um, or you got a serious connect. Other than that, you're not going to be given anything. You're going to have to prove yourself. You know, I like to, I I have a saying that I came up with where, you know, in this industry, Nobody wants to be your friend until they need to be your friend, mm. and that's and 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 people take it however they want, but it's fact. Like at the end of the day, I would honestly, in all honesty, I would have never been in wild man if it wasn't through connections. Ted and I, Ted and I had the same agent at the time, and so naturally, Ted looked through our agency roster first. And he told me the story. He was like, we would look through the roster roster first, and we saw you, and I heard your name before. I recognized you real. Get this dude an audition. If I was with a different agency, I may not have ever gotten that audition. Yeah. So it's through us knowing the same, you know, agency and moving forward. You know, if I get a role on something or if I'm directing something, and this character reminds me of Ted, Ted gets a direct phone call. Mm. And, now, you know and I mean? now, and
0: now you, that reciprocity pays. It's clearly you pay it back
1: exactly. And and yeah. and I can't tell you how many times that that has happened where I've been on sets, and my roles got bumped up to something larger, or I got an audition through social media through Twitter because a director sees me tweeting an actress that they worked with, and we're going back and forth, and then I'll get a DM: "Hey, how do you know such and such? Are we work together on this. Cool." Um, even here in Atlanta, I'm in Atlanta right now currently a walker stalker convention is going on and you know i'm walking by some of these booths and some of the actors from the show that i've worked with or you know they were there in my episode or whatever you know fans are sitting there standing there and and security's all looking at me sideways like what are you doing here you don't get to be here go where the fans are and somebody like a coleman domingo will get up and play strand on fear the walking dead we work together on earth he'll get up from behind his booth and he'll look over him like hey what are you doing here and he'll he'll Say, excuse me one second. He'll leave. He'll walk past this line of people, past security, give me a hug, drag me back there to his booth, have a conversation while he's signing. Now the fans look at me like, who the hell is this guy? Right. And right. he's like, oh, this is an actor, dude. He's like, dope. He's, he's a friend of mine. And now, obviously, security is treating me different, whatever. But And that's the thing. It's like, it, you know, now the fans see this, I get social media followings or I get, you know, whatever. Or now... You know, next time he directs something, Coleman may call me for something, or I direct something, I may call him for something. You know, it, it's you develop these, this network, this network and this communication. And that ultimately is, is, is part of the game. You know, who you know is part of the game.
0: Yeah. You know, and it, what and you it know. It starts
1: with that resource. Exactly. What you know is part of the game. And it all starts with that resource of, IMDB, looking up stuff, that, and then you know, oh snap! This actor that I worked with just booked a role on this, and I have an audition. Let me text them, hey, you know, any advice for me on auditioning for this casting director or auditioning for this director? Any 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 gems? Like, what do they like? Yada yada yada, you know. And I in turn do the same thing. I'm like, hey, when I went into red, they were big on me keeping it subtle. So, and that doesn't mean that you're going to do that, but that's a good tool to have in your back pocket. Okay, Chris said. They like to be subtle so when I go on audition I'm gonna do it the way I want but have that option of being subtle in my back pocket so when they say can you do it a little less sure no problem you already got it ready yeah because you got that little tip you little know for age. your friends yeah exactly yeah and 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 plus who doesn't want to work with their friends like you know if it's somebody that I'm cool cool with you know um like I said nobody wants to be a friend so they need to be a friend but if it's somebody that I've networked with or worked with and I got a good vibe with them of course I want to be on set with that person you know I work with them again because it's like no headaches no divas you know no 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 douchebags you know everybody's gonna work (laughs) and, and have a good time you know what I mean
0: yep absolutely man so you so you mentioned Twitter where where can everybody find you on social media and uh across the sites and on the internet if they want to see your work
1: uh absolutely so uh I'm Constantly on Twitter, man. Twitter is my my realm. Um, and you'll know it's me because I'm verified on there. So that's cool. Uh, you won't be any imposter because there are a couple other Chris Greens out there. Not that they're impostering me, but some people follow the wrong one. Uh so if you go on Twitter, it's at it's Chris Green, um G-R-E-E-N-E. Uh i-t-s-c-h-r-i-s-g-r-e-e-n-e Instagram is the same thing. I'm not a big Instagram head. I keep, you know, my agents got on my ass. You know, I'm um, talking to a current public PR firm right now. They're telling me I need to step my game up. I just don't. I'm not that dude. Like I don't take selfies and all that other stuff. So um, the Instagram stories are cool, but I'm just I'm not a big fan of uh, Instagram as far as like being on it constantly. I mean, I don't have a problem with the platform. I just like I've just never been that dude. Like I'll post pictures other people take. But so um, it's same thing on tw- on Instagram as Twitter. It's Chris Green. Um, My Facebook fan page I I just post a lot of What I'm doing on there I don't really interact too much With fans on there Or people on there If you want to interact with me Twitter is the best way to do it uh, Every once in a while though I'll get on Facebook and catch up That's Actor Chris Green So if you go to Facebook.com mm-hmm. um, That page is also verified So again Because there there are other Chris Greens out there So if you just search Chris Green Look for the, the blue check If you don't see it It's not my page um, I have the same profile pic Pretty much across the board um, I don't usually change it up so everybody knows it's it's me. But, yeah, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram are the, the general ways to, to to get in touch with me and, and chop it up or, you know, if you got an idea, you want to pitch or, you know, and I'm not Hollywood by any means, um, you know, and what I mean by that is I'm not one of these guys who don't talk to people or don't reply to people unless you do something reckless. Like I said, I'm big on respect. So if you if you ladies, if you DM me, um, box shots, you know, you know, everybody has, you know, everybody knows about dick pics. I call them <laughs> box shots. If Ladies, if you're DMing me that uh, to start off the conversation, probably not going to be a long conversation. I'm going to just keep it honest with you. Um, you know, I'm a type of guy that is, again, I, I'm big on energy. I like to have fun and enjoy myself. So, you know, if you leave in reckless comments, I'm going to delete them, you know, cause I have a daughter, come on, knock it off. Like I don't want my daughter growing up and finding this stuff or, you know, hearing about it you know, at school or whatever. Cause even though she's young, seven or eight, you know, uh, it's amazing how much these kids spend time on tablets and stuff like that because of, you know, technology, you know, they just know how to use it. Yep. So, you know, knock that off. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much how people can get in, in touch and, then, with me and keep up with what I'm doing.
0: And then also online at actorchrisgreen.com. Is that still up to date or is there another website? Yeah,
1: no, that's, that site is, that site is up to date. Um, I use that more. That's more for if you, Have a question, you know, when you want to see my, my, my reel, or if you want to keep up with projects and interviews that I've done, you know, um, you know, I'll slap this one up there when you, when you put it out, you know, so people can hear about the interviews and and know the type of people that I'm networking with and companies and, and all that stuff. You can see all that on there. My bio's on there. Uh, and if you want to book me, my manager's contact, uh, is on there. Like if you want to have me audition for something or have an interest in that, um, so, you know, but the, I have the Facebook fan page for a fan, like anybody's a fan of the show or wants a signed poster or whatever to reach out that way through Facebook. Cause that is where like all the fan mail or whatever goes to the actor. Chris Green is more for general public to see what I'm doing, but also like if a director wants, you know, you know, the Shemore project, like I said, that's how they would get in
0: touch with me. That's perfect, man. Well, Chris, we are again, super duper grateful to have you on. The, the information you gave um, is a million dollars worth of information, in my opinion, uh, in terms of uh, people that are new or experienced getting into the world um, of, of acting, of, of performance, uh, understanding that you are a business and, and you should operate that way and brand yourself that way. Can't thank you enough. Is there any parting phrase thought you would give our audience before we wrap up?
1: Uh, same thing that the, basically the phrase from my, my, um, my brand life of an actor, uh, that I teach my classes through. And also, I, you know, I have apparel that I sell or whatever, but the phrase, if you go on the website, life of an actor.org, uh, at the bottom says, learn, live, love the life. And I think that applies to just life in general. And I'm, I'm still teaching myself how to do that. You know, uh, I think it's very important that at the end of the day, when you go out every day, try to learn something new, you know, try to live that new thing that you've learned and and eventually, hopefully you'll grow to love it. And that's a culmination of, of, of life. And, you know, I don't want it to, you know, sound, I'm not trying to be cheesy or anything. It's like, Oh, prolific. No. But like for me, it, that's really become more effective in my day to day as far as just being a better person, being a better father, being a better actor and business owner is just trying to learn, live and love what I'm, what I'm learning. Because when everything's all said and done, man, you know, the biggest fear I have in life is being on a deathbed and knowing that the end is coming and thinking back like, damn, I wish I did this and could have, should have, would have and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's a fear to me. I'm not scared of a lot, but I'm deathly scared of that. I want to be there and be able to look my daughter in the face and go, you know, don't ever tell yourself you can't do it because your father was living proof that when everybody else said he wasn't going to do it, you know, I tried at least, even if I wasn't successful by standards, I learned it. I lived it for a while and maybe I didn't grow to love it as much, or it didn't grow to love me, but at least I made the attempt to do so. And I think if everybody does that, man, I think the world honestly will be a better place because right now there's just so much sensitivity and hate and animosity. It's like, okay, you gotta, you gotta shed some love in there somewhere.
0: Absolutely. I, I love that. And um, with that, Chris, we will wrap this thing up. It's been a blessing to have you on, man, and a long time coming as well. So uh, I know uh, if I don't talk to you in the next week, happy early birthday to you and uh, Zoe. And um, it, next time you're in Nashville or next time I'm in Atlanta, let's make sure we get together.
1: Absolutely, man. Definitely appreciate the birthday wishes. Um, you know, I appreciate all you guys are doing, Chris. Thank you. Keep piping these out, man. I'm definitely going to get caught up on them, like I said, and then be sharing them out there and, and getting them out there. And I think this is great. And, um, you know, I'm definitely going to be tuning other people on and hopefully getting other actors and creatives to get on the show with you guys, man. So I appreciate that much love to you guys. Much love to everybody else out there. And, um, yeah, we'll definitely come
0: man. Perfect. Thank you so All much, right. man. Talk soon. No be good. Peace. Bye. You've been listening to the make it podcast. To find more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects, social media, and transcripts of this interview, please visit our website at www.bonsaifilm/podcast. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore bonsai creative. And on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.